1: your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Daniel chapter number one, Daniel chapter one. Today um, I had full intentions of, of, of moving off of, we're still going to be in the series reclaiming our culture, uh, but I was going to kind of move or transition into chapter two of Daniel and move a little further, but I just, not, I just could not get away from, from Daniel chapter one. I feel like last week I, I pretty much laid the foundation and kind of laid the, uh, gave the introduction for the entire series. And then right at the very end, I threw in a couple points uh, from Daniel's life. But I want us to go back and reiterate the last part of what I did not give much time to last week, the last part of my message, where we talked about two areas that we see in Daniel's life. So with your permission, I'd like to lean into, everybody say lean into. We're going to lean into Daniel chapter 1 a little bit and uh, lean into a little bit of what Daniel uh, had already decided in his life. And listen, church, if we're going to make a difference, and I laid the foundation last week, I shared with you some of the battles that we're in. And by the way, please, 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 please don't misunderstand me. When I talk about going back out and reclaiming our culture, I am not talking about we as Christians go out and start killing people that do not believe what we believe. You understand what I'm saying? I I, I am amazed. There's a whole movement out there of people that kill people because they don't believe what they believe. That is not what I'm... Everybody say that's not what we're talking about. I just want to be crystal clear. I didn't think there would ever be a day where I'd have to say that in church, but it seems like in our culture today... Uh, we're kind of being pressed into this mold to believe what our culture wants us to believe. And if we believe something different than what our culture wants us to believe, they call us some type of radical religious fanatics. And they're tying in with that, murdering and killing those people that do not believe that. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about at all. So, okay, you understand me? I think you already know that. I just want to say that for this goes out on the podcast and there's thousands of people that potentially can listen to this. And I want them to understand where I'm coming from. Right? You understand, right? So what I'm, what I'm talking about is, is, is starting to make a stand. Now next week, you don't want to miss next week. I'm real excited about next next week's message. Uh, we're going to lean into Daniel chapter one again today. Uh, we're going to unpack a couple of things here with that uh, that has to do with the introduction, the foundation that we laid last week. Uh, next week, we're going to jump over into Ephesians chapter number six and Ephesians chapter six. You understand what is there, right? those that know your Bible know, you know, what's in Ephesians chapter six, the section that talks about spiritual warfare. And it talks about, uh, the armor that we are to wear. I'm going to go over piece by piece of the armor that we are to wear. Uh, we're going to have a a mannequin up here. We're going to do a little tag team preaching myself and John Pratt. And, and we're going to dress up this, this mannequin, and we're going to make some, uh, spiritual applications to it on how we are to put on the armor, because I promise you, we've got to, know we got to know initially what it's about we got to know initially what the first step is but we can't take that first step until we're totally prepared so so think about this if you will of a of a spiritual boot camp okay because that's kind of where we are And that's where we're coming from. We're we're going all the way back to some of the foundational things and principles in God's Word that we need to apply to our life in order to go out and make a difference and reclaim our culture in the name of Christ. Okay? So if you remember last week, we talked about the idea, if you are a thermostat or a thermometer, and we talked about the difference in the two, and I hope and pray that, that we've seen that and maybe we've evaluated our own life and realized that with our actions or lack of action, some things that we have been doing, or maybe haven't been doing, that we've kind of been guilty of falling into the area of a of a thermo, thermometer instead of a thermostat. Now, thermostat makes a difference on the area and the climate, right? Now, we can turn it up or down here, and we can make you hot or cold, and that's called having making a, a difference or an impact or an influence on the room, right? So we want to be thermostats, and I hope and pray that God's maybe fingered around in your heart about that and showed you different ways that that you could go out and be a thermostat for Jesus and be a thermostat for Christ, and so we can start the process of reclaiming our culture in that way. But today I want us to look in Daniel chapter 1. I want to begin with this culture warrior by the name of Daniel. Now we're going to spend um, quite a few weeks unpacking Daniel, discovering more and more about him. Uh, So we're going to look more and more in the life of Daniel. We're going to go call time out next week and go to Ephesians 6 and talk about the armor that we're to put on. We're going to come back into the book of Daniel. We're going to go a few chapters in. We're going to call time out. We're going to go back and look at the life of Jesus and see some of the tools that he used to reclaim his culture or to make an impact or a difference, I should say, in his culture, we're going to look at some of those tools that he used. Then we're going to come back to the book of Daniel, okay? So, as I told you, this is not something I prepared for for many months. The Lord just thumped me the first Sunday of this month, two weeks ago, and said, Park right there. And so I'm trying to build this sermon series so it's kind of fluid as we go. I'm just trying to follow the leadership of the Lord in laying out some of these messages here. But uh, I'm real excited about the direction that the Lord seems to be taking us. So are you there in Daniel chapter 1? Are you there? All right. So before we get into the scripture, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And thank you, Lord, for your presence that we already feel here in this service. And I just pray, God, you would speak to us. And we just ask you, Lord, to finger around in our heart and, and, and reveal areas in our life that, that we can surrender to you. Places in our life that you could use us for your glory. We just ask your blessings on our time together today. Father, we do pray for Kathy and for Trudy. Uh, these are the two that we're aware of that, that are sick, and we ask your blessings on them, that you would encourage them. God, that you continue to be with them. Uh, and Father, we do thank you also for Blake, that uh, has been in and out of the hospital this week. And thank you, Lord, that he's at home. And pray, God, you continue to, to minister healing to him. And uh, Father, we just lift these up to you. Uh, Father, we ask now that you help us. Help us to discover what the first step and the steps after would be to help us to reclaim our culture for you. We ask your blessings on our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. As I said earlier, our culture is at a place where the culture is really trying to press us into its mold, press us into its mold, into its mindset, and it wants us to carry our values very loosely. If we do not agree with the way the culture is going, then the culture says, well, you're some type of radical, religious, fanatical nuts. Well, let me introduce you to a guy that said, you know what? I am not going to allow you to push your, your culture, your mindset, your thinking, your social activity and how you do things into my life. I am going to stand and make a difference, which, by the way, in the book of Ephesians, that's, that's what we're to do. We're to stand. Now, there's some things we're to do while we're standing, and I'm going to talk about that next week. But Daniel took a stand, and Daniel decided, he'd already purposed in his heart, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, where Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat and the king's wine, or the king's type of, of a menu that he was going to place upon them, or the educational system that the king was going to really uh, brainwash them with, so to speak. He purposed in his heart that he was not going to do that. And that's what we've got to do. So let's look quickly in Daniel chapter one and verse number six or verse number one through verse number six. I want you to see this. It says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, everyone say Nebuchadnezzar, now, at this point, I want you to know that Nebuchadnezzar is not a Christ follower, not a believer in God, not a Christian, so to speak. He is a pagan, ungodly, worldly king. Okay? You understand that? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege on it. Verse number 2. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him. Stop. Stop. Who handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to this pagan king? Who did that? Wow. God, you mean to tell me that you're going to take Jehoiakim and the tribe of Judah, and he's the king of Judah, and you're going to allow them to go into captivity into Babylon, and you're going to allow this pagan king... Nebuchadnezzar to overcome Jehoiakim and take them into captivity. That's exactly what happened. Now, God had a reason. God had a plan. God had a purpose. There are some things that are taking place. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to know that God can use whoever he chooses to use to carry out his will and his plan for your life and for our life and especially his sovereign will. He can use pagan kings. He can use ungodly people. He can use believers and Christ followers as well. Sometimes we fall into the mindset that the only people that God can use are believers. That's not true. God can use everyone. Everybody say everyone. God can use everyone. And he chooses to use, and he, just like he chose to use, Nebuchadnezzar. So, so it says in verse 2, The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God. And he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men, verse 4, without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable. Everybody say suitable. Good-looking and suitable for instruction in all wisdom and knowledgeable and perceptive and capable of serving in the king's palace and to teach them the Chaldean language, and literature. And the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained here in the University of Babylon. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. And among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Here what I want you to see is that these Hebrew boys that were good-looking young men, physically good-looking, strong young men brilliant, bright, knowledgeable young men, the best of the class, so to speak. The king said, bring them in and I am going to change. The king's goal was to change their diet, to change their way of thinking, to change their philosophy, to change their belief system, to change them. He's going to teach them his way. He's going to feed them his way. He's going to twist them into His way and press them into His way of thinking and press them into His mold. Does that not sound pretty much like the world that we live in today? Hello? I mean, we look at our secular universities all across America and they're changing their... Listen, one of the dangerous points... For a young child is when they grow into those teenage years as a believer, and especially when they graduate high school and go off to a college, a secular college. And I'm not against secular colleges, and I'm not even against public high school. I don't think we need to be isolationists. I think we need to get out there and make an impact, but we need, to make, we need to know what we believe in. But there are more teenage students their freshman year of high school that their Christian faith gets rocked and slammed Because they're trying to be pressed into a different world view. If you remember last week, we talked about a biblical world view. Are you with me? And so they're getting pressed into the secular world view. That's exactly what was taking place here. In verse number 17 through 19, I want you to get this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. The Bible says that God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom, and Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And at the end, and at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king interviewed them. And among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. And they got a promotion, but I'm going to let you know how they got that promotion here in just a moment. But I want you to see a little bit of what's taking place. In verse 17, I believe it's a key verse of scripture. Look what it says. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding. So my point I want you to get, and I kind of leaned into this last week, who gave this knowledge and wisdom and understanding? To these young men, God did, okay? So last week, I kind of nailed this first point. If we're going to make an impact in our culture, if we're going to set out to reclaim our culture, then we must realize, number one, that our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Now, that's kind of where we leaned into that real heavy last week, right? But we didn't really unpack a lot of Scripture about that. I want you to understand, if we're going to set out... To reclaim our culture. And Victory Church is going to leave here when we walk outside those doors and we're going to be intentional about reclaiming our culture. Then we first and foremost, first and foremost must know that our identity is in who? It's in Christ. It's not in the type of home that we live in, it's not in how much money we have in the bank. Our identity is not in some hobby or sport that we may have. Our identity is not in our job or our career. Are you with me, church? Our identity must be found in the person of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now listen, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I'm against you having a nice home or a great paying job or, or a great career or a nice car. I'm not against any of those things. But I am against when we put those things before our God. Right? Remember, this is for you to say amen with. Right? When I do this, this is your hint. For those that aren't real sure where they're supposed to say amen, when I pull my ear, that means amen. Let's practice. Okay, good, good. All right, so you got it. So we've got to realize that our identity is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few verses of Scripture in Psalm 139, verse 13. I just have the reference up there, so you'll have to look in your Bible if you want to follow along. But in Psalm 139, and verse 13, the Scripture says, the psalmist is ca- calling out to God, and he says, You created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. Now, the psalmist is crying out to God, and he's acknowledging that God created him. You see, that's the problem with a lot of people. A lot of people don't believe in God, and they certainly don't believe that God's involved in creation, let alone creating them. Listen, God has created every single Thing in this world, every single person on this world in this world psalm one thirty nine thirteen you created every part of me, say every part he didn 't say you created a part of me he didn 't say you created a spiritual part of me no God says the psalmist says to God, you created every part of me, you put me together in my mother 's womb do you think god 's involved in creation, whenever a husband and a wife conceive and, ha- and start the process of having a child. Do you think God's involved in that? Sure he is. God's involved in that. And so he says that you put me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. This is when God was calling Jeremiah into the or as a prophet. And he's reminding Jeremiah of a few things. Look what he says in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So here we see that Jeremiah's identity is in God. The psalmist's identity is in God because they realize that God created them, that God called them. God's telling Jeremiah, I called you to be a prophet to my people before you were even born. While you're still in your mother's womb, I had a plan and a purpose for you. And guys, we've got, to, we've got to get to the place where we realize that none of us are here by accident. None of us are here by mistake. I don't care how you were conceived, right? Mom and dad may have had an accident, but God didn't have an accident. Are you with me, church. You've heard people say that. You've heard parents say, whoops, uh-oh, didn't expect that one. You may not have expected it, but God did. Right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to this. It is God who, has, who is at work in you, both to will and to work in His good pleasure. I love that verse. Who is it that's at work? Who's working in Victory Church? Who's working in our life? Who's going to work when we set out to reclaim our culture? It's God working in us. Philippians 2.13. It is God who is at work in us. To do what? To carry out His will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, God has a plan for every single one of us. So we've got to get to the point where we realize that our identity is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Daniel understood that. When Daniel was carried into Nebuchadnezzar's court, into the University of Babylon, he had realized that God had gifted him, that God was with him. And he sat there or stood there knowing that his identity is in God. I love the message paraphrase of the Bible. Now listen, I like to read the message Bible just to read for devotion. I do not study from it because I think it leaves out a whole lot. I think it's very lacking whenever you really get into deep biblical study, but it's a good devotional read. So here I want to read this to you. I have the message paraphrase version of Eugene Peterson's translation, or I should say just Version of of the scripture. Listen to what he says in Romans twelve, verse one and two. So here's what I want you to do: God helping you, get this. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let's call timeout right there. In this paraphrased translation of Scripture, Eugene Peterson is pulling out of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 that take your everyday life, you're eating, you're drinking, you're sleeping, you're going to work, you're walking around in, in life, and lay that before God as an offering. In other words, when we get up in the morning, we need to say, God, thank you for a good night's rest. Here I am. Use me. I lay my life before you as an offering. Help me to make an impact for you. I mean, the point is we've got to be intentional about that. So he says, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I like that. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Then he says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's where so many of us make a mistake right there. We become so well adjusted to the culture that we simply fall into its mold without even thinking about it. Sometimes what we need is really just a spiritual awakening. We need God to sound off, if you will, the spiritual alarm clock in our life and reveal areas in our life that we have just slumbered and fallen asleep and start fitting into the culture without even thinking about it right so that's what he's telling us to do instead he says fix your attention on god you'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture or culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I love that Romans 12, 1 and 2 passage in the paraphrase translation there because it really kind of hits home with us. Sometimes we fall asleep, spiritually speaking, and we wake up and we realize that we've allowed ourselves to adapt into the culture, to fall into the mindset of the culture. And that's where we need that awakening from God. And I believe that's what God's starting to do here at Victory Church. With this message and other things that are taking place, God is starting to wake us up and to get us ready to go out. So we've got to realize that our identity is in Christ. Everybody say this. Our identity is in Christ. Say it together. Our... One more time. Our... Throw number two up there. If we're going to reclaim our culture, then we must realize that our identity is in Christ. It's not in the world. And number two, we must have solid biblical. Everybody say biblical. Solid biblical convictions. Now, let me say this. It seems like every believer has some sort of conviction, right? Right? And I've ran across some believers that have been walking in the way of Christ for many years that bring along these preferences and turn them into theology and take a position on it and now have a conviction about it. But the unfortunate thing is there's not chapter and verse for it. Are you with me? We've got to be sure that our convictions are biblical convictions. Are you with me, church? You've got to be sure, you've got to be dead level sure that with every conviction that you are proclaiming, with every conviction that you're taking a position on, with every conviction that you're taking a preference on, you must be dead level sure that you have chapter and verse for that conviction. Are you with me? There's a lot of believers that I've ran to along the way and I've been pastoring churches for, or actually two churches, this one and one other, for 25 years. Right? And my point is this I have ran across a lot of believers that come to me with their position and their preference on some particular thing. They've turned it into a salvation, I mean into a theology that factors in salvation, and I get to looking at it, and there really is no chapter and verse for that conviction that they say is a biblical conviction. Now listen, I've had to grow through some of this myself. But if we're going to reclaim our culture then we've got to be sure, everybody say be sure because I'm going somewhere with this. Say it. Be sure that what Grandma and Grandpa is teaching is chapter and verse, a biblical conviction, not a preference. There's a difference. Are you with me, guys? And and, and I'm, I'm sharing this with you from experience. Because when I was a young Christian growing up, There were things that I I was told, you have to do this, you don't do that, you do this, you don't do that, you wear this, you don't wear that, you go here, you don't go there. And I just took that as the gospel because I put my faith and my trust in the one that was telling me that. But as I matured more in the Lord, and as I matured more, and I'm looking at Jared He and I have had some conversations about that, and we kind of come from the same camp a a lot of times. As I matured more in the Lord, I realized that what was a preference, some took to a position and turned it into a doctrine or a theology, and some of it even hinged on whether I was saved or not. And I get to digging deeper in that, and I realize there really is no chapter and verse to sustain or to back up the preference that was given to me. Are you with me, church? Do I need to say much more about that, or do you got it? Do you got it? I'm going to say get it, you say got it. Get it? Got it? Good, all right? So we got that settled. So here's what I want you to do I want you to be sure that the position that you take on a particular doctrine that you're going to say is a conviction, just be sure it's a biblical conviction, right? Now, here's what I want you to see about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 5, it says that the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Look in verse number 8. The Bible says, but Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. Oh, that's key. I don't know if you mark in your Bibles or if you have your, your Bible and you open it up and mark. You need, to, you need to highlight that verse. You need to underline that. That Daniel purposed in his heart is kind of how I grew up memorizing it. The Holman says Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. And by the way, I want you to know this. He made this determination and he purposed in his heart that he would not do some things far before he was faced with that decision. Now, guys, you got to need to understand this, and I preach this to teenagers all the time. You've got to know where you stand on things before you are confronted with possibly that temptation, right? Because if, if you're not even thinking about it until you're confronted with it, odds are you're going to fall into it. But if you've already put some thought into it before you are confronted with that temptation or whatever it may be, And you've already decided. You've already made your decision based on the Word of God. I have purposed in my heart. It started in my mind. I started thinking about this. I looked to see what God's Word had to say about this. It's settled in my heart. I've determined in my heart and in my life there are some things I'm not going to do, some things I am going to do. I've got biblical conviction about it, and I've made that decision before I am confronted with the decision or the temptation. You got me? And Daniel determined in his heart that he was not going to change his diet that he was not going to do what the king wanted him to do that's what he's saying he would not defile himself with the king's food and with the wine that he drank so we asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself in verse number nine of daniel one god had granted daniel favor man i like that god's already at work And has been at work in Daniel's life. And God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. And yet he said to Daniel, My lord, the king assigned your food and drink. And I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. And you would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard. Now he's having this conversation with the guard. He says to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Here's the test in verse 12. Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and he tested them for ten days. And then verse number 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier. Say better. Better. They looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. And so the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And here's what I want you to see. And I'm not sure if I have a slide for this, but here's what I want you to get. Conviction is the mortar of morality. Conviction. Is the mortar. Of morality. Daniel had a biblical. God founded. Conviction. on What he was going to be eating. And what he was going to be partaking of. And he took that in before the guard. And said test us in this. And see after ten days. What it looks like. And God gave them favor. And they looked. One One translation says ten times. Better than the others. So God moved on them based off their conviction. Church, listen. Conviction is the mortar of morality. The reason why it seems like our world is in a mess today is because we, I think, as a church, as Christ followers, as believers, we have gotten away from biblical conviction. Remember, that's for you. Right? We've kind of gotten away from it, and we've allowed the world to rock us to sleep, and we wake up and we realize we find ourselves in the mold of the culture. We've embraced the culture when we should be making a stand against some things that are taking place in our life. So let's do an evaluation right here. What kind of convictions do you have? Now, I'm not going to go and give you a whole laundry list of convictions. But I want you to evaluate the convictions that you have. Now, I would like for you to do an honest evaluation. And that's going to start, first of all, with every conviction you have. Do you have chapter and verse to go along with that conviction? Is that conviction biblical? Okay? The position that you take, is it biblical? Okay? If it isn't biblical and you choose to take that position then I need you to change your perspective. Are you with me? If the position that you choose to take, you can't back up with chapter and verse, but it works for you, that's okay, but you can't push that conviction off on everybody else. You've got to change your perspective. I mean, I've seen people that take the position that they hold... And they really can't find chapter and verse for it and condemn everybody else to hell and even say that they're not even a believer because they're not following after the position that I took. Are you with me, church? Are you hanging in there with me? I'm talking about reclaiming our culture. And we've got to be sure the conviction that we take and the position that we stand, we've got to make sure it's biblical. If it is biblical, then we can stand on the Word of God and we can preach it and declare it until Jesus calls us home. But if there is no chapter and verse on the position that we take, are you with me? And it works for us and our family then praise the Lord, it works for you and your family. But don't push those positions off on other people. You must change your perspective on how you look at others that may not line up with you positionally. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? The point I'm trying to make is we've got to be sure that our convictions are biblical convictions. And then we've got to ask... Do we have a solid set of scriptural values? The convictions that we have come along and come out of the values that we have. Do we have a solid set of biblical values? And then we must ask, those biblical values that we have, do they have any meaning whatsoever? Or are they just values that we have on Sunday? So the biblical values that we have, the convictions that we have, do they make any difference in my life? Am I basing the decisions that I make on a daily basis off of the scriptural values of God's Word? Or is it something I just do on Sunday because it feels good? Is anybody with me? We kind of dropped the plow a little bit. And I remember as a a boy, you know, and this is why I, I don't have a big garden today. My dad and mom believed in this massive garden. I mean, it was nearly an acre large, the garden was. Now, my dad had the great job. We planted like five rows of potatoes. You know what he got to do whenever it was time to pull the potatoes out or dig them out? He rode the tractor. With the big tater plow on the back. Right? That's what we called it. And he ran down through there. He sat at the other end of the row until I walked through and picked up every potato. Well, I thought, praise the Lord, I got that row done. No, no, no. He'd turn around. He'd drop the plow a little bit deeper. And he'd run right back through that row. And I would stand at the end. I'd watch all these potatoes just roll out. I'm thinking, holy smoke. Guess what my job was? Five-gallon buckets. What? Pick up the potatoes. Right? Yeah, why not? There should be somebody working, right? Yeah. Who said that? It came from over here. Was that Earl? (laughs) He'd sit at the other end. He'd turn that tractor around. He'd drop that plow a little bit deeper, and more potatoes would roll out. That's what we're doing here. We kind of skimmed the surface last week. We're trying to drop the plow a little bit and get a little bit deeper on how we go about reclaiming our culture. Do the decisions that we make and the relationships that we have. Are they based off the set of values that we have, scriptural values and biblical convictions that we have? Do they impact our walk? Well, my prayer is that if we're going to impact and reclaim this culture, then that, those biblical convictions and that set of scriptural values that we have, they must make a difference in my life. I must make my decisions off of those, right? I must help other people see those as long as they're biblically based, now, I've got to do that in love and compassion and mercy, mercy and patience and temperance and long-suffering and all of these things that are fruits of the Spirit out of Galatians 5. Are you with me, church? Are you there? But if, if that position we have is not biblical, we can't press it on others. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10-13, a final word, and I'm going to be done with this. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's, God's armor. So that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. I'm going to unhook right there because I'm going to hook back up there next Sunday morning. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. And we're going to see what this armor is that we need to be wearing. To go out and make a biblical difference. And reclaim our culture. What are you placing your hope in? What are you placing your hope in? Well for me. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Painted on the foundation of this back wall, when they poured the footers, I came out here and spent several hours just by myself. Actually, Tracy Lauderdale came at the end of that time and he and I went up on that hillside and we just talked for a while. But after we had poured the footers and we're getting ready to erect this building. I had a spray can and I went around and I wrote scripture and I wrote different things that were meaningful to me from God's word on the foundation of this building. And then as the walls were going up and the framing was going up, I wrote scripture over the entryway of the doors. I wrote scripture over the entryway to our children's section. I wrote scripture over the entryway to what was going to be our nursery. I wrote scripture over the entryway, what was going to be our offices and just those metal studs and a Sharpie an hours, just writing. Matter of fact, the inspector came and said, "What's all this?" And I said, "That's what we're building this church on: is the Scripture, the Word of God." But across the back footer is one of the old hymns that I remember singing as a boy. It's still very dear to me today, and I think I have the words for it. I want you to see. My hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. His sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, My anchor holds within the veil. Sing it out. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, and His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Sing it out. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I love this last verse. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone for less to stand before the throne. Shout it out. On Christ the Son. Sing it. One more time to make the devil mad. On Christ the solid. Sing it out. That's how you'll make a difference right there. Sing it. One more time. The devil doesn't like it when you say this. On Christ the solid. Amen. I love that. Let's sing it one more time because I want to sing it with you, okay? Here we go. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand, all of the ground Here's what I want you to see. Because of Daniel's, and that's the next slide I have for you, because of Daniel's solid biblical convictions... He began the pursuit of reclaiming his culture, and God used him in a mighty way, he and those three Hebrew boys, in that whole venture. And God, if we're going to start reclaiming our culture, we've got to know that our identity is in Jesus Christ. And we've got to have some biblical convictions that are founded on the Word of God. And when that happens, we're ready then to put on the armor of God and to walk out these doors and start making a difference. So the question is, as the band comes, I'm done. Romans chapter 10, verse 11 says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. So as we go about reclaiming our culture, we have a choice. And the choice is this. Am I going to fit in or am I going to stand out? Am I going to go with the flow or am I going to run against the wind? I don't know about you. But I've tried to make myself as aerodynamic as I can be. And I am going to run against the wind, right? And I'm going to make a stand for Jesus. Now, I'm going to do it with love. And I'm going to do it with compassion. And I'm going to do it with mercy. And I'm going to do it with patience. And I'm going to do it with long-suffering. I'm going to use Galatians chapter 5, the entire fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully, there's evidence of that in my life as I'm doing this. But I refuse to fit in. I'm going to make a stand. and I'm going to run against the wind. I hope you will make a stand with me. And I hope you will run against the wind with me. Maybe we need to make the old Bob Bob Seeger song, Against the Wind, our theme song for 2015. I don't know, just a thought. But we need to run against the wind, right? We need to paddle our boat upstream. We need to quit just going with the current. Turn that thing around and say, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to stand for God. Why don't we stand together and we have a song? Let's sing a little bit of this song. Got a little bit of this song to sing. No? No? Okay. No, don't, don't sit back down then. Let, let's do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, today, Lord, we've decided we're going to make some changes. Father, today we've we've made a decision, a declaration, as Daniel made, that we're going to purpose in our hearts, that we're going to live for you, that these biblical convictions that we have, that they're going to make a difference in our life. Decisions we make are going to be based off of those. The direction we go are going to be based off of those how we raise our family are going to be based off of these biblical convictions. And God, there will be times there'll be those times when we will have to go against the flaw. There will be those times when when we will have to make a stand and when we do that, we will stand out. There will be those times, God, when we just got to run. Run to you. As fast as we can run to you. And the whole time we're running to you, we are running against the wind. We're running against the culture. But we're going to determine today that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live for you. Father, help us to do that. Maybe you're here today, and this is our time of invitation. Maybe you're here today, and and first and foremost, you haven't come to the place where, where you've had and made a relationship with, with God. And I want to help you with that. If, if there's anyone here that needs to maybe do business with the Lord, now's the time to do that. I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, taking all those pressures off. All I'm doing is asking you to sincerely in your heart right now, just do business with the Lord. Is everything well with your soul? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if you haven't, then maybe you'd like to pray along solemnly. a little prayer like this. Say, Dear God, I realize that I was born into this world a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. Scripture teaches us that you laid all the sins of the world upon him and he paid our price for sin. He died there and he was buried and he, he rose again victoriously that third day. And right now he's seated by the right hand of God the Father. And Lord, right now I just ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart, into my life. Redeem me. Save me. Make me one of your children. The best I know how, sincerely as I know how, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Help me. Help me, God, to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be my God. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that you are now a child of God. And, but maybe you're here and you say, Preacher, I've done that a long time ago. Maybe what you need to do is just recommit your life to cross today. Maybe the fire is going out. Maybe it's just a little ember that's just glowing ever so slightly. Why don't you fan that flame today? Why don't you recommit your life to cross today and rededicate yourself to Him and purpose in your heart that you're going to live for Him and you're going to serve Him and you're going to, you're going to run against the wind and you're going to make a stand for God and... You're going to allow these biblical convictions and these set of scriptural values to be real in your life and you're going to start making decisions in your life based upon those and right now you look and you realize you haven't been doing that. Why don't you simply just ask God to forgive you? 1 John 1.9 is in the book just for you. It says if we confess our sins that He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, why don't right now you just ask God to forgive you? Father, for that individual, I pray, God, you forgive them today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Give us strength. Give us boldness. Give us courage to go out and not be mean-spirited, but go out and make a difference. Start reclaiming our culture in the name of Jesus. We commit all these decisions to you and pray that you'd work in each and every heart. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we
0: pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois. 6269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.